You're listening to a sermon from our pastor, Brian Payne. We would love to have you worship God with us this Sunday at 1045 in the morning and at six o'clock in the evening as we make, nurture, and equip disciples of Jesus Christ in Auburn and throughout the world. Well, good morning. So continue our time of worship. If you would turn your Bible to Galatians 5, we'll be back in John next week, but uh, Galatians 5. I'd never heard that statistic before that 99.5% of those in Japan have never even heard the gospel. I knew that less than 2% of those in Japan are converted, but 99.5% have never heard the gospel. And if it is true, and it is, that those who are outside of Christ are lost and condemned for eternity, then the greatest need in the world is international missions. So continue to pray about your role in that commission, that command that we've been given, but also great privilege that we've been given. If you would look with me, we're going to be focusing on verses 16 to 18 this morning. But for context, let's read verses 16 to 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit. He's writing to believers here, those who are in Christ. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. To be under the law is under the condemnation of the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, And things like these. He doesn't even describe everything. I warn you as I warned you before. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And will go to heaven. That's what he's saying. But the fruit of the spirit. Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Fathers, we conclude this 2023 year as we transition to 2024. May your people at Lakeview hear the word this morning from the Apostle Paul and respond to the summons to be people who walk by the Spirit. Show us the way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 1945, it'll be 79 years ago, this upcoming year, C.S. Lewis's novel, The Great Divorce, was published amongst other things, one of the stories he tells in this novel of a, is of a man who, who has uh, 
on his shoulder, living on his shoulder, a red lizard that torments him day and night. That lizard represents indwelling sin, sins of the flesh. This lizard constantly mocks him and torments him. Then an angel comes to him and he offers to, to remove the lizard. Well, the guy is initially intrigued by that. He says, I can be rid of this thing that so torments me. But then he recognizes this, this angel glows with a, a deadly heat. And that the way this angel will remove the lizard is by killing it. The man reasons, it really isn't necessary to kill it. It's not necessary that the lizard have to die. Maybe there's a, a better time and a better way of dealing with this lizard. But the angel won't be put off. In the book, it says the lizard, now recognizing the, the danger he's in, also begins to strive for his life from another angle. So the, the lizard doesn't want to die. He unsettles the young man with doubts and suggestions. The lizard warns, be careful. He, that is the angel, can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you and he will. And then you will be without me forever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'll only be a sort of a ghost, not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless, abstract thing. It may be natural for him, but it isn't natural for us. I admit, I've gone sometimes too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. Almost innocent. With that assessment, we often reason it can't really hurt. It doesn't really do that much damage. And even if I'm wrong, I'm under grace. I'm cleansed by the blood. I'll be pardoned. I'll be forgiven. And with such reasoning, we allow the red lizard to live. We persuade ourselves that the remnants of the flesh aren't really all that dangerous. They're not really all that destructive. And so almost innocent is safe enough. And the Apostle Paul would say that kind of thinking, almost innocent, is a work of the flesh. In the most immediate context here, the works of the flesh that he's speaking of um, are, we see in verse 15, the people of God in the church there in Galatia are biting and devouring one another and potentially even being consumed by one another. What's interesting is these words, biting and devouring 
and consuming were most often used to describe wild animals who were engaged in, in, in a deadly struggle. Paul is saying when you act like that, it's the works of the flesh. It's, it's animal-like. It's subhuman. But verse 15 isn't the only example of the works of the flesh. As we just read, you can see this catalog of works of the flesh in verses 19 to 21. Let me just say this. The seed of every sin is in every human heart. There's no one here that's more in Adam in their natural state than another. It may be because of particular parenting and civil authorities and social conventions. You may not act on all the works of the flesh, but they are in every human heart, all right? But there's common restraining graces, and, and we are thankful for that. But these are real. Notice when we again in verse 19, the works of the flesh, sexual immorality. That's the word porneia. That's all sexual expression outside the covenant of marriage. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And this is just the beginning of the list. Things like these. And the stakes are enormously high. Again, look in verse 21, the second part of verse 21. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those whose lives are described, patterned in this way, will not go to heaven. They will not have eternal life. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the kingdom where Christ rules over subjects who have bent the knee to him. So what is the solution to such works of the flesh? Well, first of all, it begins by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by him, we have crucified the flesh. We'll see this later in the passage. But it's being ruled by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says. It's the only solution. There's not a plan B. It is plan A. And it is an all-sufficient plan. First thing we see here is the charge. And it's a very hopeful promise for every believer. And it's only a promise for the believers. Only those who trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me in verse 16. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so here we see a command and a promise. The command, walk by the Spirit, which means if you're not walking by the Spirit, you are in sin, and you're going to walk in the flesh, and the works of the flesh will manifest themselves in you. But the promise is, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, there are 14 references to the Holy Spirit in Paul's letter to the Galatians. We see seven of those in this passage, verses 16 to 25, as I read to you earlier. When we trust in Jesus... 
The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. We learn that from chapter 3, verse 2. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? But he said, you receive the Spirit by the hearing with faith. So you receive the Spirit by the hearing with faith. So when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the mark of the new age. We see this throughout the prophets. We see it in Isaiah. We see it in Ezekiel. That when Messiah would come, it would be signaled in part by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 37, verse, or 36, verse 27. I will put my spirit on you. But until Jesus returns, the old age, this present age, which is resistant to God, coexists with the new age that erupted through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I said last week, I think this is a helpful metaphor. Uh, think of a, a Venn diagram to help us describe where a believer presently resides because Jesus has ushered in the age to come in an inaugurated way through his resurrection. Believers now live in the shaded area of the Venn diagram where the, the circles of the present age and the circle of the age to come overlap. That's where we live. And so the Holy Spirit which marks the age to come is at war with our flesh that marks this present age. Paul has already mentioned the flesh in verse 13. He says in Galatians 5.13, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh, for the Christian, is the I, all right? The I who tries to satisfy me with anything and everything but God. That's the flesh. It's the I in me, that existing remnant of the old self in Adam that seeks to satisfy me, me, myself, and I with anything and everything that is not God. And at every moment of every day, remember that as we go into 2024, we will live by one, either the spirit or the flesh, and not gratify the other. And each way of living produces character qualities. We saw the character qualities of the works of the flesh. The character qualities of the life of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth. Before our conversion, our sinful nature rules alone and unopposed. The old man in Adam, we are represented by Adam, the, our covenant head. And, and we, we are dominated by the 
by the sin nature. It's not that the unsaved person doesn't regret some of the things he says or does or or what she may say or do, but it's not ever marked by contrition, godly sorrow. At best, it's attrition, which is worldly sorrow. Uh, The the ungodly, the the unbelieving person may have great regrets because of the consequences of their behavior. But at our conversion, the moment we are born again, the moment we trust in Jesus alone through repentance and faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters and he begins a renovation project. He begins a renewal work that is now our new nature in Jesus Christ. This is nothing less than the life of God in the believer's soul, in the believer's heart and spirit, and hence the battle. So you have that remnants of the old self, and now you have the life of God in you by the Holy Spirit. Now the word desire here, desires of the flesh, it's interesting. I'm going to give you the word because... It's a compound word, epithumia. Epi meaning over, and thumia meaning desire. These desires are over desires. These are desires of the old self, the flesh. These are the deep things that tend to drive us and control us when we're not walking in the spirit. And so our flesh creates us in us this feeling that we must have this, we must do this, we must say this to be satisfied. In other words, the flesh only has idolatrous desires. Only idolatrous desires. Only desires that compete for lordship over your life. David Pallison, the great Christian counselor, who has since passed, but he writes these profound words. If idolatry is the characteristic and and summary Old Testament word for our drift from God, then desires is the characteristic and summary New Testament word for that same drift. The New Testament merges the concept of, of, of idolatry and the concept of inordinate life ruling desires. For lust, craving, yearning, and greedy demand. Paul says, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not carry out these desires, the desires of the flesh. Don't miss the tension, though. The promise of God's provision, the promise of God's power and His presence, and yet we must walk. We have responsibility. It's not a let go and let God. This is not quietism. We have a responsibility to walk in the Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit, and we'll speak about this more later, begins to create new desires, new appetites, new passions, and this gives us new power. That's freedom. 
And notice I want you to see here in verses 16 to 25, it's so important that Paul uses four different ways of saying it to drive it home to us. So for instance, he says, walk by the Spirit, verse 16. In verse 18, being led by the Spirit. In verse 25, living by the Spirit and then keeping in step with the Spirit. So let's look at this first verb, walk by the Spirit. The Greek word, again, we don't need to know the Greek to, to know what he's saying, but I think this gives us a picture here. It's an important picture. The word is peripatete. Now, why do I give you that word? Where? Well, that word gives us a very important picture. It's also in the present tense. It means it's to describe us at all times. Back in Aristotle's day, he had famously these disciples known as peripatetics. All right? That's the noun version of this verb. And they were called peripatetics because they went where Aristotle went. They walked with Aristotle wherever he walked. They responded, they sat at his feet, and they were taught by Aristotle. That's what a peripatetic was. And the verb ver, uh, form of this ver, uh, word is the word Paul uses here when he says walk by the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit is to go where the Holy Spirit is going. It's to listen to him. Is to discern his will in every situation and his ways and to follow his guidance. Of course, the Spirit does not work apart from means. J.I. Packer is very helpful here. The Spirit works through means. What do we mean by means? Channels. Channels, instruments, that's what we mean, means. Through the objective means of grace, namely, biblical truth. The objective means are the most important means. Prayer, fellowship. Think about this as we go into the year 2024. This is how the Spirit works. He works through means. And the Lord's Supper, worship and the Lord's Supper, and with them... Through the subjective means whereby we open ourselves to change. We stop saying, this is just the way I am. If it wasn't for those people, I wouldn't be this way. Yes, you would. Thinking, listening, questioning oneself, examining oneself in light of Scripture, I might add. Admonishing oneself, sharing what is in one's heart with others, confessing with others. Holding each other accountable, you might say. Weighing any response they make, listening to counsel. The Spirit shows His power in us by making these regular means effective to change us for the better and for the wiser as we go along. It's a process. And get this. This is a great last word from J.I. Packer as we approach the new year. Habit-forming is the Spirit's ordinary way of leading us on in holiness. 
habits of the heart that are developed through these means where you avail yourself to them as a pattern in your life. You see, holiness is not a given. It is not a given. There's a war going on. We see that war in verse 17, the conflict. So we've seen the charge. Verse 17, we see the conflict. It's a life, it will be a lifelong reality. By the way, I just read, a, a finished a Billy Graham biography, and, and at the end of the book, it talks about Ruth, his wife, dying. And she had placed on her, her tombstone, no longer under construction. Thank you for your patience. He under, she understood, as, one, as, as godly as Billy Graham's wife was, even to the moment of her death, she was under construction, okay? Because there is a conflict, a very real conflict. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So this is a remarkable statement. Literally, Paul says, the flesh over-desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Of course, that flesh again is the I in me that doesn't want what God wants for me. It's the I in me who does not believe God can truly satisfy my longings. But the Spirit also desires. Do you see that? The desires of the Spirit, which are against the flesh. What are these desires? Well, first of all, if you look back in chapter 4, verse 6, just flip one page in your Bible. Because you are sons... And yes, women who are believers, you are sons. Be of good cheer. I'm the bride of Christ. You are a son because you are united to the Son of God who is the firstborn. He, is the, he has the inheritance rights, which means if you are in Christ, you have the inheritance rights. So it's not too bad to be a son in this case. If you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts and note what the Spirit is crying. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Okay? So the Spirit is desiring. And here's what the Spirit is doing. He's creating desires to be in the presence of God. The Spirit is at work giving us eyes to see God in Jesus Christ and to see that He is more worthy of our heart's attachments than anything the world can offer. He is more worthy of our heart's attachments than anything my fleshly desires could want for themselves. And so awakening these new and stronger desires are the means by which the old desires are displaced. They are replaced with greater desires. As one divine said, it's the expulsive power of new affections. Now, interestingly, in verse 24, it tells us the flesh has been crucified. 
those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. That happens when Jesus takes over as our king. The flesh is crucified. His government now reigns in your life. He is your king. He is your governor. He is your president. And therefore, the red lizard, the flesh, has met its doom. The red lizard has been dethroned, but it hasn't yet been destroyed. That's what we need to understand. There are still outlying pockets of resistance. The freedom fighters, if you will, of the red lizards have not laid down their arms. They still know your address and they must be fought back daily even though you are fighting yourself from a posture of victory and, they, and their back has been broken just like the German army was broken after D-Day. And that's why the believer still struggles with sin. How else can we explain our spiritual schizophrenia? And that's what it is. The reborn have both sinful desires and godly desires. And that brings us to the comfort. Verse 18. So we've seen the charge. We've seen the conflict. Verse 18, Paul does not leave us without comfort. A comfort as we go into our new year. And this comfort is a gospel reassurance. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is the fifth time in Galatians that Paul uses that phrase, under the law. To be under the law means to be under the curse of the law. That is, the law condemns us because not a single one of us has ever kept God's law perfectly any moment of our lives. Okay? So we don't want to be under the law. And Christ has come and redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And yet, this isn't easy believism. A person who has received Christ as our curse bearer will begin to show itself in our lives. We, we, we don't remain unchanged. We begin a process of renovation, and that work is by the Spirit. And so the outward proof that we're no longer under the law is, yes, we profess Christ, but we are people who live lives led and controlled by the Holy Spirit through the means of grace. As Paul writes in Romans 8 9, we read this earlier, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. He's writing to Christians, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. So let's close this out. Very important passage. And I want to encourage you a moment. If the conflict in you is strong, be of good cheer. Be encouraged. Don't be discouraged. That clash 
is the normal Christian life, which is not marked by perfection, but by war. All right? Praise God for that war. Because satisfaction in your sin is death. If you have an area of your life that you have sequestered off from God, that is death. You rationalize this. After all, no one's perfect, right? Um, I'm only human, as the song of the 80s sang. That is death. The life marked by the Spirit is a life of battle. Gratefully, the Holy Spirit has landed to do battle with the flesh. So be of good cheer if your life is marked by this battlefield. But that said, when you take this text, this book as a whole, the main point isn't war. It's victory. It's victory. It's life in the spirit overcoming the desires of the flesh. Those who walk in the spirit, and that describes, that marks their life as a pattern, they live lives where they prevail over the flesh. But here's the question as we close. How do you walk by the spirit? Well, the battle is fought at the level of your desires. Every battle, every decision you make is motivated by love. What are you loving most in that particular moment? Are you loving yourself more than you're loving God? Are you loving yourself more than everything else around you? The battle is fought at our desires. And the flesh, that, that old red lizard, those desires are opposed to God which means they are opposed to your good. They are opposed to your human flourishing. But the new Holy Spirit birth desires will progressively crowd out those fleshly desires of those who are in Christ and walking by the Spirit. So you allow the Holy Spirit by the means of grace, corporate worship, devoted time in the word of God, fellowship with brothers, sisters in Christ, you allow these spirit-wrought desires to make you and, and keep your heart happy in God by resting on his promises, by trusting in his providence, by delighting in his presence, all right? That's what happens when, when you allow these means of grace to work in your life. And the spirit will rule over, will reign over these fleshly desires. And it's what Paul calls living by faith in the Son of God. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, yet it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me and is now working everything together 
for my good. And I am trusting him for that. When you increasingly believe that, that you have all that you need in Jesus and that he has promised not to withhold anything that is ultimately good for you, those new affections will begin to displace and crowd out those old, carnal, fleshly desires. Just like new life on a tree is what makes those old, dead leaves fall to the ground. George Mueller, in his autobiography, which I suggest would be a good read for all of us, says this, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord or how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. Now, what is the food for the inner man? The Word of God. Again, if you are happy in the Lord, you're trusting in His provision, His presence, His power, His providence in your life, those new desires will progressively squeeze out and overcome those ever-present fleshly desires that tempt you into finding your happiness elsewhere. I don't know about you. I had an old coach, uh, Coach, Coach Lindsey, an old defensive coordinator. He's not old, uh, but I was texting him this morning, and I and I, I just I, I said to him, you know, a new year reminds us of how fleeting time is and how fleeting life is. You wake up one day and you've been out of college for over three decades. How did that happen? Um, but as we think about this new year, what better commitment could we make to redeem this year, to redeem our time, than to avail yourself to every means of grace by which the Spirit works? Corporate and individual and family. The means are the channels. They govern as channels, conduits, by which the grace of God, through the Christ of God, by the Spirit of God, is ushered down from heaven for your good, for your help, for your comfort for your growth and godliness, for human flourishing. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. May that be every believer's commitment here as we go into the new year. So that on December 31st, 2024, you can say, thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who controlled my, my life this year through those means of grace. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who has delivered me from this present age.
to Adam and the musicians come forward. Maybe you would just like to come this morning and pray or pray with one of our pastors at the end of the aisle. Maybe you have a work of the flesh that is stubborn, that red lizard will not go away. You just need somebody to pray with. Maybe you need to die to it this morning because you have the resources in Jesus and by the Spirit. Or maybe you recognize that red lizard is my king because I don't, I don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. I don't know him as king. I don't know him as master. But I want to because I want to be delivered from this lizard. I want to be delivered from my sinful nature. You can do so this morning by trusting in Jesus, by repenting of your sins, laying your sins down at the cross and trusting in the one who took, who bore our sins in his body on the tree. His wrath, God's wrath was satisfied in the son and in his resurrection. That curse that we have in Adam, the Adamic curse is reversed for those who trust in the son. Why don't you trust in him? as we conclude this year, and as we sing, as we stand and worship. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time, or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we wanna start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.